I'd like to spend this summer season going through the book of Genesis. And in particular, I want to start not at Genesis chapter 1, but Genesis chapter 37 for this new series called Hashtag Beginnings. Hashtag Beginnings. And we're starting in Genesis chapter 37. Let me just say that this study that we're going to do for the next few months through the story of Joseph, um, we're going to do some deep study. And if you want to get the most out of this story, out of this study, um, attend the adult Sunday school that starts at 9 a.m. starting next week. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll continue next Sunday at 9. Um, we will be reading the same story in Sunday school, and we'll be talking about it from the pulpit as well. And so if you want to get the greatest effect, I really encourage you for this summer season um, to attend that. I think it's going to be um, a very complete study of this story of Genesis. Before I go any further, let me just set the stage um, about this Joseph story. One student of the Bible calls this Joseph story almost like a novella, a telenovela. And um, I, I don't speak Spanish yet, but sometimes when I'm flipping the channels and I see Telemundo or I can see these daytime soap operas, and I can tell just from, from the, the drama, it's gripping. There's something happening. And they're very similar to Korean soap operas which is always very weepy and very dramatic, and somebody's always getting some terminal illness or something. And these novellas are all about family, family. I've been talking about family, and I've been talking about the issue of forgiveness and family reconciliation for about 20 years, as long as I've been in ministry. And today is the first time in my life that I feel like I can talk about family um, without a twinge of guilt in my conscience. Oftentimes I've spoken about it but known that things weren't always completely right. Um, if I can just share my own story, last week, so full seven days ago, um, my, um, my father celebrated, we celebrated my father's 80th birthday. My father is the oldest. Uh, I'm the oldest son, and um, you can kind of see the age difference. And in celebrating his 80th birthday, instead of us giving him presents, he decided to buy us all presents, and he, he got us um, tickets for a, a Disney cruise. And so for five days, um, it wasn't just my family. It wasn't like, here's, here's a present, buy, and have fun. But we were all together. It was a big reunion. So it was my father, 80 years old, my mother, um, my family, Ashley and the kids, and then my brother and his wife, and his niece. And um, his niece is three, or his daughter, my niece is three years old. It was the first time I had ever seen her. Um, if that tells you anything about some of the family drama in my own life. Um, without getting too deep into it, let me just lead with my weakness and say, as your pastor, I don't have everything perfect. And I understand family drama, and I even understand family breakdown. I understand the breakdown and the tensions that exist. I understand in-law dynamics. And I know all of this stuff, even to the point where it's been a couple of years since I've seen my, even my brother and his kids. Um, how was the trip? We didn't get one big suite, but we used our better judgment. We got three staterooms. Um, but in a word, it was magical. 
was magical. It was magical not because of just Disney and all of that stuff. That, that nostalgia is there as well. But it was magical because all of us were back together and we were laughing again. And we were hugging again and we delighted in each other's children. And there wasn't this sense of like tension and triangles. You know, we weren't looking back and forth at each other, um, worrying about what this person thought or what. All of us just kind of felt free and we had a good time. Now, you're probably thinking that's because that you, were, you were on a cruise and everybody was together. Sure, that helped. But honestly, it wasn't that simple. It was not that simple. There was a lot of work that went on behind the scenes to get up to that point where all of us could, let alone be on a, on a boat together. A lot of work. And I'll be the first to admit, countless hours in counseling and therapy. A lot of work. Because the hard thing about counseling, and I've learned this over the years, is that I can work on all my stuff, even my family of origin stuff. But when push comes to shove and I'm at the dinner table with my family of origin, I might have changed, but they might, have not, might not have done any work at all. And so no matter how much work we do, and friends, we're all Christians here. For those of us that are Christians, I have to say that you're, the test of our faith, it's the Thanksgiving dinner table. We can talk all we want. We can say, I believe. We can sing about these. We can sing these songs, and we can sing with power, and we can be filled with the Spirit. But the evidences and the fruits of the Spirit, the people that will know if you are filled with the Spirit are those who know you best. Your family. When I first moved to Seattle, the first time I grew everything out, you know, so to speak. It was the first time I just kind of let myself go. And my dad, I remember, you know, he said, you've changed. You've become a little bit more rebellious. You know, they know us better than anybody else. And so this story is a story of people that know you better than you. Your brothers, your father, your mother, your sister, your relatives. The story of Joseph. Joseph. So look with me, if you will, at Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 37 in Genesis. And what we're going to do for the weeks coming is go verse by verse, section by section, and just finish out the Joseph story all the way to the end of the Bible. Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, Jacob's son, when he was 17 years of age, he was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a varicolored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all the other brothers and so they hated him and they couldn't speak to him on friendly terms. And then Joseph has a dream and he tells to his brothers and they hated him even more 
And he said to them, Please, please, listen to this dream which I have had. <laughs> For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. And then his brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us, or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 9, he still had another dream, and he related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I've had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars. There were eleven brothers and sisters, eleven brothers. And eleven, eleven stars were bowing down to me. And he related it to his fathers and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow down ourselves before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. I mean, listen to the end of that story. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At the end of this, you have the sense that even though the father rebukes the son, he's treasuring these words almost. You can almost kind of hear this sense of like um, an old man trying to rebuke a young person. Um, my father, I, as I said this already, um, turns, he, he turns 80 this year. And my niece, so my younger brother's daughter, is three. And so we had to plan a vacation for that age range, 80 years old to three years old. Tricky. And as kids do, sometimes, you know, my niece would act out or would kind of fool around, and my dad would kind of sit there chuckling, and, and he would say, don't do that. But you got the sense that because there's such this big age gap that he's really kind of lenient on this small child. I, I was like, Man, when I, was, when I was little, he wasn't that lenient on me. I don't remember that same. But the older you get, you mellow out a little bit more. I'm beginning to find this. I'm beginning to find this. The older we are, and the bigger the age gap. So you get the sense that Jacob, although he's rebuking his son, it's almost like an old man rebuking a very young child. Don't do that but wow, that was a good one, or something like that. Or like, you know, do you, you know, you can't do that, little guy, or something like that. You get the sense that he's very almost, almost permissive. There's a rebuking about it, but it's very permissive. It's very lenient. And what happens, and, and when, you, when you read this story, if, how many of you are familiar with the Joseph story? And you know what happens. Bad things, I'll just tell you. Bad things happen next week. But let's say that bad stuff never happened and Joseph grew up in this environment with that permissiveness and that leniency. Maybe a child was raised by their grandparents and the grandparents didn't discipline. And so permissiveness becomes enabling and enabling becomes passivity. And then passivity eventually becomes avoidance. Well, I can't do anything about it. And I just kind of avoid the problem. And the child grows up however they wish. If you're aware of the word dysfunction, there's another word that I'd like to show, to, to, to share. That's 
a functioning. And it's not so much dysfunction, which means the family is functioning, but it's functioning wrong. What we're talking about is a functioning. It's not that the family's functioning wrong, it's that there's no functioning at all. There's no functioning at all. There's no discipline, there's no guidance, there's no flow, there's no rules, there's no operating style. The family just kind of does whatever it is, whatever it wants because there's basically no structure. No one is in charge. Joseph is in charge. No one is in charge. A functioning. It says in verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. And Joseph knows this. Any child knows this. I can get away with murder. I can do whatever I want because, you know, my dad's my grandpa. A functioning. Friends, there's three sources of family struggle. Three fill in the blanks in your notes. If you look in your notes. The first source of family struggle, the beginning of this drama, of this telenovela, begins with one simple thing, favoritism. And that's the first fill in the blank, favoritism. I don't know if any of you have been the object of favoritism, or maybe you've experienced the tension that happens in relationships when there's favoritism. And these tensions can exist all the way to the very end of life. So favoritism is the first source of family struggle. And the thing about this is it's so interesting because it goes all the way back into roots. If there's anything that this series, I hope it will enlighten you, is to learn to look at your own family tree. Learn to look at your own family tree. And so we did premarital counseling um, with, a couple of cu with a few couples uh, this past week. And in premarital counseling, we did something called a genogram. A genogram is basically you just diagram your family tree and you look for trends. You look for relational breakdown. You look for patterns. When it comes to Joseph's family of origin, favoritism goes back generations. It goes all the way back. Not only did his father favoritize him, but his father himself was favoritized by his mother. Rebecca favored Jacob over Esau. Jacob favored of two wives. He had two wives. But the first was Leah, the older, and then Rachel. Do you know which one he favored of the two wives? The younger. And so there's a sense where you have somebody who was the object of favoritism, he continues to favor certain people, and it does wreak havoc in the family system. Joseph is emboldened to speak like this. He speaks quite foolishly. He speaks quite foolishly. He's emboldened, but he wouldn't be able to do that if his father permitted him to do that. So favoritism is the first thing. Friends, if there is favoritism in your life, you need to name it. You need to name it. Whether you are the recipient of it, whether you have not been the recipient of it, or even if you are the giver of it. I can only speak for my culture, Korean culture, especially in the, with my parents' generation. 
Firstborn males are oftentimes a fetish in families. And it creates problems. It creates things. I, I, I don't want to get into my own family. I could talk about that. But it creates inferiority. And that cycle needs to be addressed. It needs to be broken. It needs to be broken. I'm sure that it's not just Korean culture, but other cultures as well. All cultures, no, no cultures rather, are immune from favoritism. And yes, it's destructive. Just a little bit of favoritism. What's the big deal? It's destructive. So what happens is we grow up and we say, it's mom and dad's fault I'm this way. It's mom and dad's fault that I'm like this. I wasn't favored, or I was favored, or I was nursed, or I wasn't nursed, or this happened, or that happened, and all these things. It's their fault. But something that happens to every maturing person is eventually we realize, actually, I have something to do with it too. Not just them. Mom and dad did the best with what they had, but there are things that I do as well in the family system. Let's continue and listen to this in verse 2. What is Joseph's side of the road? It's easy to say, well, you're not working on your side. What's my side of the road? What's Joseph? In Joseph, Joseph's side of the road, when he's 17 years of age, what does he do in verse 2? He brings back a bad report about his brothers. His, need I mention, 10 brothers at that time, 10 brothers to their father. I don't think a lot of foresight went into this. I don't think Joseph thought this out very well. He brought back a, a bad report about his brothers, about his siblings, to his father. For us to do something like that, you, I mean, for us to operate, we have to have some family insight. You know what's waiting for you, 10 wedgies, 10 wet willies. It's not in your best interest. And it gets worse. On top of that, Joseph later, he says, please, listen to this dream I've had. Behold. And he, he shares this dream about all. I mean, do you not, did you not, there's a sense of cluelessness about these dreams. Did you not get the family memo? This is just not how you behaved. I think the second source of family struggle in many times, many cases, is quite simply this. It's immaturity. Immaturity. But there are many things that we do. When I think about the things that I did when I was younger, I cringe. I don't know if any of you do that. Sometimes I think about the things that I did when I was a much younger man. <laughs> you know, uh, not just in ministry, but even to my own family. And I remember this one time, um, I'll share this story really quick. I was a, a camp counselor um, but I was a junior counselor, so kind of like our own kids' summer camp. Um, the older kids who are in high school can go as silts. They can go as counselors in leadership training. I was a junior counselor in the same camp that my younger brother attended. And I remember my brother was doing something at this camp, and I, I corrected him harshly, as older siblings tend to do. And a senior counselor caught me without knowing that he was my brother. And she said, hey. And I'm like, but he's my brother. He's dumb. He acts like that. Don't you know that? I didn't say those things. But those are the things. Now, when I think about that, I only lead with my weakness. 
perhaps so that you will all realize that in immaturity, we all do foolish things. You've done things as well. I'm sure you have. Please, don't leave me alone standing up here. That when it comes to family, there are things that we do that just require wisdom and insight, that require time. Now, there are people who have had lots of time, but they still never grow. They still never learn. There is a need for growth. There is a need for self-awareness. And in time, we can look back and change. We can change the things, not by just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but by saying I was wrong, and these are the things that I need to change. This, I've said this before, I'll say it again. We have to learn as a reconciling community how to say I was wrong. And we have to learn to say, this is what I will change. Without that, it's only empty words and it's only um, false repentance. Christians, if we are to grow, our families will be the ones who can tell. And therefore, we have to learn how to repent with our actions. By changing, they will believe behavior, not your words. So immaturity. Immaturity is something that plagues this whole thing. Joseph's whole, the way he conducts himself, all of this stuff, there's a mark of immaturity about it. Um, and I think it's very forgivable. I think it's very understandable. Joseph, Joseph's immaturity, however, it's still a source of family struggle. It's a source of family struggle. And this is the second fill in the blank. It says immaturity. You see, had he been taught, perhaps, by a wise mother, or perhaps a caring older brother, Joseph, this is not how you do it. You know, this is going to get you into trouble. But his immaturity, the fact that there was a functioning, no functioning going on, Joseph did not know how to behave. And frankly, it took tragedy to teach him how to operate and behave in this world. And this story, when it carries all the way to the end, it's going to be quite remarkable um, how Joseph learns how to operate. He learns how to work in the end. But even then, the reconciliation, it had to come from God. I can't, I can't spoil the ending here. I believe that even in the very end, Joseph wasn't capable. He wasn't capable of forgiving. It took an act of God. It took an act of God. Hold that thought. But stay with us, please, as we go through this whole series and look at how the story concludes. But in the meantime, we just have to live with Joseph's immaturity. Listen to this dream I've had. And then he says it again twice. Listen to this dream I've had. Now, there's something about this here. There's two dreams. And there's something about these dreams that I want to point out. Let me just read these two dreams one more time. And I'd like for you to listen. I'd like for you to listen to the significance of them. First of all, in verse 7, the first dream, we were binding sheaves in the field. My sheaf rose up and stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. The second dream in verse 9. Another dream, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. They were bowing down to me. The significance of these dreams 
of these two dreams, two things that I want to point out. Two things. The first thing, really quick, is the simple fact that there are two. There's a pair of dreams. It's not just one dream. There are two. And I want you to notice this, because as we make our way through the rest of the book of Genesis, you're going to see pairings of many things. Pharaoh had two dreams. There were two dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. And I think what this shows us, that Genesis, and we're going to learn this in Sunday school, is not just story that's written as it happened. It's narrative that's told, conveying a message with artistry. It has a literary quality about it. So the author of Genesis, as this story is being written, is conveying a message with intent, with artistry. The fact that there are doublets that appear repeatedly, there's a reason for this. These doublets, they're not just random. Pay attention to things like that. Pay attention to that. But the second thing, the second thing that I want to point out that's significant about these dreams is that you can hear God at work. That sometimes you have a dream and you know that this dream was different. Or sometimes you have an experience and you just sense it's, it's, it's sublime. It's, 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 it's not something that you can objectively describe. But you get the sense that God is doing something. The fact that Maria leads worship for us on this Pentecost Sunday... God is doing something. And through the, uh, the, the ebb and the flow, the rhythms of woven, God is doing something. These dreams have the mark. They have the scent. They have the sense of something. God is doing something all throughout these dreams. The third source of family struggle, if you look in your notes to fill in the blank, the first one, let me reiterate, the first source of family problems is going to be favoritism. Favoritism is going to lead to family problems. The second source of family problems is going to be immaturity. If a family member or if the entire family is emotionally mature, you're going to have problems. How many of you have heard this before from your parents? We don't talk about the past here. That's water under the bridge. We forget about it. Am I the only dysfunctional? Right? We don't talk about the past. A friend of mine is a therapist. He's a counselor. I, it's anonymous, so I think it might be okay for me to share. Um, and he, he was uh, having a fam family reunion, my therapist. He's a counselor. And in this family reunion, they had an awkward moment. There was something, um, a tension that came up. And everybody stood around blinking at one another. And my friend, who's trained in counseling... He said, okay, what's going on here? And his dad, his old man, just rolled his eyes and walked out of the room. <laughs> Which is like such a dad thing to do, right? It's like, let's talk about emotional processes. Okay, I'm checking out. Let's describe and define the relationship. Oh my gosh, really, this is the last thing I want to do. It's not something that we're accustomed to doing. And the result is emotional immaturity, A-functioning. You know, there's an important role for a warm and strong woman in the family. I think there's something about women 
that men, you know, we're, we're just kind of, you put us together and it's like just blocks, right? Bop, 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 right? We'll talk about, right? But women just, they're able to define this is what's going on in the relationship. They're able to talk about it. They're able to describe this is proper functioning. They're even to, able to teach the next generation this is how you do things. And if you've had a wise mother, you know what it's like to kind of just follow her lead because she understands the flow of the family. Right, Margie? <laughs> it takes wisdom to know that this is how the family operates. And you just don't throw four or five people into a room and say, family, family, just... No. There's functioning. Anyway, I'm kind of belaboring this second point. Immaturity is the lack of functioning by one or all members of the family. You can have an entire family. Many times, grown people can be very immature. So that's the second. But the third, the third source of family struggle, the third fill in the blank, the third thing that can cause family, I don't know if I'd say cause, but the third thing is providence. Providence. Don't say that my family is broken and therefore I don't like my family. The message that's being conveyed here, I think, is that however your family lives, whether it's functioning, whether it's dysfunctional, whether it's afunctional, in the end, God is at work in your family of origin. I can stand here without a guilty conscience because God moved in my life. God was at work in my mother's life, in my brother's life, in all of our lives. That when he brought us together for this new season of family, we've been married, my wife and I, we've been married for 17 years. God is working and at work in our families. And I don't want to say that he causes tragedy or he causes but I think God sees all of the possible outcomes okay Joseph just said that oh, it's going to go this way then okay well I have a plan for that too but it's going to be hard on Joseph you hear that I think God knows all of the possible outcomes and he says choose well for your own sake learn the path of maturity for your own sake, if you're not mature, then uh, it's going to have to go this way. And I have a plan for that too, but it's going to be hard for you. But it's going to work out. But it's going to be hard for you. But it's going to work out. But it's going to be hard for you. But Joseph goes this way. And Joseph goes that way because Jacob went this way. Because Abraham went this way. Because so and so forth. You get this? Because of the family system and the dynamic, it's going this way. God is at work. The word providence means that God ordains, but he also knows. He can move. He can work. Our families are works in progress. Can you please receive that? That you are not a Christian that's here on Sunday alone just for your own sake. God is at work in your life to be a missionary back to your family. Back to those who are estranged. Back to those who are far off. Back to that crazy uncle or even step stepmother or this person, that half-sibling that still acts like that. The dream of reconciliation in the church in Woven 
is that our family members would be able to worship together. You know, modern church, modern church is more individualized and more divided than ever. I would worship in this church, but my family worshiping in the same community, not going to work. I don't want them in the same community. That's actually backwards. That the church needs to be a place where generations can worship together. Where our relatives, that we can invite, we can invite other members of our families together to worship with us on a Sunday morning. It would be a dream for me to worship with my extended family here at Woven. So God's at work. That's the third source of family struggle. Providence. Not that God causes it, but your family is a way, is a certain way, just because. But God can work with that. God can work with that. You know, I said something before, and I want to just highlight this one last time. I said there are doublets, right? There's pairs. There's another doublet that I want to call to your attention. And to me, it's very interesting. Listen to this. In verse 4, his brothers saw their father love Joseph more, and so they hated him, and they could not speak to him on friendly terms. Now, friendly terms that literally translates shalom. They could not speak to him with peace. But I think even more important, I mean, for me, th that phrase, they just couldn't speak to him. You have this picture of dysfunction. A function, broken communication, they couldn't speak to him. But that's the first pair of the doublet. You know where the second pair of that doublet is? It's at the end of the story. In chapter 45, those same words, verse 1, after they were reunited, after the reconciliation, well, it's... it's it's in progress right now. Listen to this. In verse 1 of chapter 45, Joseph couldn't control himself anymore. And he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And then he turned and kissed all his brothers and he wept on them. And afterwards, his brothers talked you see that echoing? That in the beginning they could not talk to each other and at the end they're talking again. They're talking again. This doublet I think shows us that God is at work, that God can work even in broken families. God can work. Friends, I want to leave you with three thoughts. Three applications just to take home with you. This first Sunday, we're talking about family. I think it's, and we're going to be talking about family as we, go, as we go through this series in Genesis. I think it's going to be very appropriate because I know in the summertime, a lot of you go to visit your family. And a lot of work, self-awareness. But this is the first thing I want to leave with you. All things work together for your good. All things will work out for your good. Are you familiar with that verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 
We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Now, after that, Paul continues on, and he talks about God has called you according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew, and talks about predestination, etc., etc. But I want to translate that with my own interpretation. All things work together for good to those who love God. And if you love God, God will be revealing more to you. You will be becoming more healthy. You'll become more self-aware. And therefore, things will work out. Because to be in a love relationship with God is to grow more holy. It means to grow more holy. It means to grow more holistically. To become more aware, more self-aware. Yes, those who God knows, those who love God, will be the healthy ones. In church, we sing and talk about power and the Spirit, but we must talk about health as well. Those whom God knows will have their souls healed from the inside out. Yes, family healing, restoration, relationships, Things will work together for your good if you know God and if you love Him. I used to say when I was much younger, I don't believe in that. I know it's in the Bible, but what about cancer? Or what about death? Or what about all these things? What about family? You know, what about divorce, separation? What about all this stuff? Because real stuff happens to Christians. Yes, it happens to Christians. Hard stuff happens to Christians. But even those things God can use for good. Even those things, the worst things, God can use for good so long as you walk with Him and love Him and know Him. He will make you self-aware. It might take decades. It did for Joseph. Decades. Joseph, thrown into slavery. Decades later, seeing his brothers, hugging them and kissing them and talking again. But can I tell you a second thing that I'd like to leave you with? The second thing I want to leave you with is immaturity. Be gentle with your own, your own immaturity. Because if there's one thing that will keep us from growing, if there's one thing that will prolong dysfunction, It's not being able to forgive ourselves. That thing that I did all those years. Those wrongs that I did. If I can't get over that, it will prolong the dysfunction. It will prolong. It's like, it's like this. Um, some, some people, um, like if, if I have a video of you, and oh, I've got, like, let, let me just pick, pick on Blake. I've got a video of Blake, right, on this can I show you this video? And it plays, and Blake's like, oh, no, I don't like the sound of my voice. Or I don't like, I don't like seeing myself. You know, many of us will say, I don't like hearing the sound of my voice. Not too long ago, uh, this, was actually, this was actually a while back, a little bit further back, but um, I was just rummaging through some old wedding photos, uh, my wedding photos, 17, 17 years old, and looking through these wedding photos, and... Um, my wife looked beautiful, and it was, you know, seeing a, you know, my young wife, my young bride, and then I saw myself, 
And for some reason, I had this very visceral reaction, a visceral reaction, where I said, I don't, I don't really like, I didn't like who I was back then. I didn't like that about me. I don't know if any of you relate to this. But I can tell you that that feeling and the inability to come to terms and to become comfortable with who I was, that will prolong our dysfunction. That will not help you to grow healthy if you're beating yourself up. Now let me tell you the flip side of this. On the cruise, two weeks ago, my dad brought an album of pictures when I was little, and he showed it to my kids, and they're like, <laughs> what a dork, and they're looking at the pictures. And it was embarrassing, and it was awesome. It was awesome, because honestly, I really was a dork. Like, when I was their age, anyway, I feel like someday somebody's going to put some pictures on the screen or something. Maybe I should have just included that, but the truth is, I, I, I think I'm a little bit more comfortable. That's healing. And that has to happen in all of you, in all of us. Not only do we have to forgive others, we have to forgive ourselves. And we'll say, I was immature, but that's okay. Everybody was immature at one point. Don't beat yourself up. One's on the Enneagram, don't beat yourself up. Five's on the Enneagram, be gentle on yourself. I know who you are. Perfectionists, be gentle. Don't beat yourself up. That's only going to prolong the dysfunction. But the last thing, and the last thought I'd like to leave you with is what I said before. A functioning, it's actually dysfunctional. A functioning is actually dysfunctional. If we say, well, there's no problem. And if we say, um, hey, I don't need to address this and just let it go. I don't need to parent my child. The past is the past. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to define this process. We don't need to talk about relationship. The unwillingness to do the hard work will actually keep us from growing. The unwillingness to do the hard work. So friends, I hope you'll stick with us for this series because Genesis 37 is going to be hard work. And just like I said, you know, getting to the point where all of us could be on the same boat together, that didn't just happen. It took countless hours of work counseling, therapy. But friends, our Christian sanctification depends on family work, and we will continue with that in the weeks to come.